This is Sabrina, the Cinnamon Cinephile, and we are here for another episode of 5 by 5 a movie podcast, where I sit down with an expert and we go through each of our five favorite films on a specific topic. And today's guest is an expert in science fiction. Yes, I am sitting here with author Michael Haynes Pitts, and he is uh, the new author of a black sci-fi trilogy called the surge series and so michael welcome to the show and thank you for being my guest today thank you sabrina i appreciate it yeah no i'm here uh, talking about favorite sci-fi films and a lot of their influence um whether it was like a huge influence or minimal influence on just uh this wonderful book trilogy at this point that i've started you know the first one's out self-published uh, Surge series, you can get it now. Um, and then the second one I'm putting through the editor, so we're working on that. And I have the outline of the third, so, you know, I, I've got I got some ideas there, but it's very uh, Black femme, Black woman-oriented uh, series, cyberpunk in Africa specifically. And it's a lot of fun, a lot of strong woman characters, uh, very action-oriented, and, yeah, people seem to enjoy it so far. And you can definitely tell where I get my sci-fi sci-fi influences uh, throughout the book. Okay, so we're going to see where you get these sci-fi influences. I can't wait, because when I met you in the comic book chat, uh, we were at a panel about comic book, black comics, and it was we were in the chat talking to each other in the chat. We were paying attention, but we were talking to each <laughs> other in the chat. And then I got a copy of the book, and like, I, like you just said, it's about a black woman in the future, in Africa, and it's cyberpunk. What more do you need to hear? I <laughs> was all in. I love this story. I just really loved it. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about the plot, because I know you got three juicy books. <laughs> so the, the biggest thing is uh, the surge itself is a force. It's I kind of don't want to necessarily give away like how it started. I mean, the first book doesn't really reveal that. I think I'm finally going to reveal that bit in the third book. Um, but it's a kind of a, uh, world phenomenon, a surge that comes in and, uh, people have certain powers to deal with like electricity in a sense. It's definitely got some star Wars influence right there with the force. Surge power. I love that part. <laughs> it seems like surge power. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so great. Yeah. And so, uh, which is also kind of going into lending a lot of, uh, black superheroes with lightning powers in a sense. Mm -hmm. But I use it in a lot of different ways. It's because it's not exactly lightning because it's in the future. So we have a highly like, you know, advanced world. But, you know, with people have powers to alter these uh, science fiction worlds. But also because of the surge, there's a lot of lack of robotics and AI in it. So we've, people have kind of taken a bit of a step back in terms of uh, evolution of technology, but at the same time, these people have powers that help them with it. And we follow a detective who has these powers, and there's a detective agency that has them. We follow Afia Suwu and how she deals with different things. And she has some old files in her detectives, and then also the main plot and how she uh, deals with people trying to figure out what they want to do with this power, military wanting to use it for wrong, other people wanting to capture it, uh, gangs in the city of Accra, Ghana, who want to use it, you know, for more financial means. So 
there's a few different people who have different motivations for the power and uh i just have a really fun time with the setting and uh the characters who athea encounters on her journeys wow okay so everyone that listens to this podcast i know we are going to get to the five movies because we have to hear how michael got influenced to write this book and what movies did it but i wanted to go back to the one thing you just mentioned and it was the setting because that really got me that uh, the book is set in Ghana. So tell us a little bit about why you picked Ghana. Uh, Ghana, because I had gone, I want to say, what is this now? 2018, I want to say? Maybe 2019? Uh, not 100% off the top of my head. But I went there and I had such a wonderful time going to Ghana. But I also was like, I really love the West African influence that you can see in a sci-fi movie we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of that connection to me and seeing how you can make it futuristic and also trying to disprove, you know, like, you know, some of my students will be like, Hey, uh, is everyone living in huts? And I'm like, no, like you, like you have to go out of your way in the village to get to the huts. And we, and we know why people think that, you know, based on, uh, you know, PR and everything from Hell Africa, yeah. but yeah, when you the go, United States yeah. media. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just terrible because, I've been to Africa now eight times. Wow. And while certain, or I've been to at least eight countries, I've been there four, four times, eight countries total. But um, the thing is, every, every time I go, I mean, sure, there's certain things that aren't like 100%. But then, you know, you, they have like nice embassies and hotels and futures places, places where you can go play video games or, you know, like tons of technology, like all the Wi-Fi you need and everything. And it's like, why, why not make a futuristic city with Africa? Like, it's totally work. Like, people totally know what they're doing there. And um, it, it's kind of just kind of showing how capable all of these African people are. And West Africa specifically because there's such a strong connection with West Africa and African Americans mm-hmm. as a whole through the slave trade. And some of that, I wouldn't say the slave trade necessarily plays into my book, but I think the diaspora is yeah. a very large part of my book uh, because many characters in the book uh come from places where there is african diaspora so okay. there's there's a lot of different characters from all over whether that's america or the caribbean um two big places i highlight for sure and that uh is such a factor in showing all these capable people from africa or the diaspora and now we're in the futuristic setting because we don't always get to see futuristic african settings Oh, I know. I, I, I just love this. I just ate it up. So, okay. So the book is called The Surge Series, and the first one is called The Surge, right? And it's pretty much, I think I just did a kind of like Surge Series like outline. Second one definitely has like a Surge Series, and then there's another title. Oh, okay. Third one, Surge Series. So I think that's what I'm doing, like Surge okay. Series, book one, and then the other ones will have the little secondary little, titles. Little, yes, the little subtitles. All right, so let's get started with the movies. And so, as you know, in 5x5, five five, we go from 5 to 1. And Mike is going to tell us the movies that most likely influenced his writing. And I'm going to tell you my movies that influenced my love of sci-fi. As you know, I am a sci-fi sister. Not uh, When I'm not the cinnamon cinephile, I'm a sci-fi sister. <laughs> And so I'm going to go through what has influenced me, and Mike is going to tell him, tell us what has influenced him in his writing. So go ahead, Mike, take it away with number five. What's your first movie? Yes, yes. And also, I want to also mention that, uh, talk about influences real quick. I just want to plug in Octavia Butler and Toni Morrison, because I, I know we did 
uh, Flipmush, that is that how much they were influenced. Toni Morrison, I'd say, on dialogue and black woman as a whole, and Octavia Butler being a black woman sci-fi uh, writer, right, big influences on my book. So that All is right. definitely the jam to reference before we get into these films. Talk to the audience now. <laughs> that. That's it. I got to name the people I've read like the most. I think <laughs> think both ladies I've read like five of their books. More than almost any author. So. Oh, know. man. Okay. I love All right. So with that. <laughs> Whoa, I love it. Yeah, with that. Uh, so number five, I, I got Arrival. So uh, one, of the, one of the more recent ones. And uh, I think I like this one. This one, I would say not necessarily as much of an influence on the book, although you could say maybe the uh, influence of encountering the unknown or strange comes into play with the surge because a lot of people still don't fully know it. Like they, they've tried some ways to figure it out, but it's, it's very unknown as they try and grapple with what this power is. And I love so much of Arrival has that in regards to aliens in terms of, uh, you know, you have a lot of times when you encounter an alien and things are negative or uh, you already have established aliens where it's like, you know, like Star Wars, for example, or Star Trek, where like there's already aliens in the universe. Like there's a way how they run. We know how they do. Or they're just like the enemy. But in this, in this case, it's like, well, before we even get there, like, how do they think? What is the time? Like, how do they talk? How do we even communicate? So that's a big part of why I like Arrival so much. And uh, the director, Dennis Villeneuve, um, who will come up again, just does such a great job of uh, kind of the shots. And even though it's like simple and that the aliens are just so distinctly different, I just love like all the uh, concepts of language and the power of that. Absolutely. This movie is also one of my favorites. I'm glad you put it on the list because number one, I love Amy Adams in anything. And Jeremy Renner is becoming like one of my new favorite guys. You know, I did see him in a few other movies, but I really liked him in this. And like you said, it's just, this one is really different because it does have, you know, aliens come to the earth, but it's this whole thing of, the communication and we can't even figure out how to talk to them which i love because you know yeah. they don't just come to earth and say we come in peace and everything just starts going everybody speaks standard english exactly <laughs> which would never actually happen you know if you look at the day there's still they come in with that and you know they want guns blazing because they're like what is this crazy thing and then arrival is like that but arrival first is like how do we even say hello like and it's true like you, you know you have no idea what another species would would, would say like even if we look at like animal species right like thinking communicating and how they work is totally different than how humans work right and i mean and this one is so great because um it doesn't even have they don't even they don't even experience time the same way and i don't want to spoil anything but even the concept of time is not it is not linear if anybody's a star trek fan it definitely sounds very deep space nine so they are not <laughs> being linear and so oh, arrival and <laughs> i had to get some star trek in there so yeah. arrival is definitely one of my favorites and i can i can see that just being like a movie that you love even if it's not a direct influence to surge series which i'm gonna say how many times can I say the name of your book? <laughs> the third series. Um, so you don't forget. All right. And this movie was nominated for, no, it won a Best Sound Oscar, and it was nominated for Best Picture, which is very unusual because, as we know, 
science fiction movies usually get the short end of the stick. It's like that genre that they just will not honor, but you know, some movies are breaking through, but we always usually are in the uh, science fiction, you know, all the special effects categories yep. and everything. That's all we ever get. <laughs> the science fiction award ghetto of the sci-fi ghetto. Of yes. Yes. Sound, sounds, effects, and uh, maybe costumes, maybe, maybe. So yes. All right. So number five, you had Arrival, where we are like from 2016, directed by Dennis uh, Villeneuve. And he is also, <laughs> is he doing um, Dune? Is he yes, doing... he's doing Dune. I'm so yeah, excited. I mean, he actually God. is a director of another sci-fi film on my list. But, uh, I mean, he got his break from Sicario, actually, which you know, is, not, right. is not sci-fi, but still directed really well. Like, yes, yes, that, yes. That's the thing. Like, he's, he's very good at uh, imagery. Mm. Um, and I think, I think I'm excited on that for Dune. Like, the yeah. trailers look really cool. The trailers are badass, I'm telling you. And in Arrival, that was the thing that got me. It was the imagery of the aliens and trying to, you know, the even the, the imagery of the language. I mean, that movie just really blew my mind. But yeah, I loved it. Number five for Michael is Arrival. So I'm going to go to my number five, and I'm going back in time to the Andromeda Strain. From 1971, starring Arthur Hill and Paula Kelly. Okay, they had a sister <laughs> in this one back in 71. And this film is 50 years old. But I love this film because um, it doesn't really deal with aliens coming in and guns blazing. But, you know, you and I both really like those kind of movies. But yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's definitely a type of sci-fi that yeah, I like. But this one has to do with the earth has sent a shuttle up into space and the shuttle collects some samples. And in that sample is a microscopic bacteria, something, whatever, whatever it comes back down to earth and it lands in some, you know, obscure town. And some fool goes over there, opens up the canister and releases the alien germ and it kills everybody in the town. So our guys have to go into the town and find out what happened. How do these people all die? And you know, where's the sample? So there, the whole movie is about containing this disease and the news of the infection. So it was really interesting watching this in the middle of the pandemic, uh, even coming off the pandemic, because it some things have just not changed. The main thrust of this movie is government versus science. And I loved it. And when this came out in 71, it scared a lot of people. Yeah, you know, plague, uh, plague and disease is such a, such anytime I see it now in media, it, it's so I just can't can't stop thinking about like the relations with COVID and everything, and and I believe it. And wasn't there a more recent TV show with Andromeda Strain as well? Is that correct? Yes, there was a TV series which I didn't see. This is a book by Michael Crichton, and yes. um, and uh, it was like his first big book. And thus they gave him all the money, and they just made this thing. And I guess yeah, it was a spinoff TV series, and. What I liked about it really is that the science, they got it right in this. And so to look at this now, 50 years later, and look at the science, it just looks so old. But what I loved about it is um, the set. The, the set, set yeah. Cool. You know, I saw those pictures actually. The set, yeah, yeah, it's like this, this it's facility, really cool. like the super lab <laughs> facility yeah. under the ground. You know, it's like, oh my God, you just know it's someplace like this, right? You know it. And so this one was up for two Oscars too for um, set. Uh, set direction and also for editing. Well, back in those those awards, but uh, yeah. So, so so my number five, 
the Andromeda Strain by Michael Crichton. And um, take a look at it. It's really interesting. It's funny because Paula Kelly is in it. And this is like just at the height of the black exploitation. Yes, yes, yeah, 70s. So they've got Paula Kelly in here, and she's like the nurse that has to take care of one of the only survivors of the town. One is an old man and one is a little baby. And I'm sitting here watching this, you know, 50 years later, although I saw this in 1971, so I am dating myself, but I did see this <laughs> in the theater. I had read the book, and so I'm watching it 50 years later to get ready for this show, and I'm saying to myself, oh my God, they like have like a black nanny in this, the, the, the mammies? There's a mammy character in this movie? Dang, I'm just gonna, is, suddenly I'm gonna sci-fi. <laughs> listen, I'm just gonna let it go. But you know, but Paula was in it looking beautiful, telling that white man what the deal was, and she basically kind of figures it out. She gives them the little clue. I'm not gonna again spoil this because if you haven't seen the Andromeda Strain, cue it up and get ready to tell me how you thought they did with government versus science as compared to today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't feel it's gotten much better, personally. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> okay, so that's our number five movies. We've got Arrival for Mike and Andromeda Strain for Sabrina. And now, number four for Mike. All right, number four, we've got uh, The Matrix. So yeah. This one is a big influence on the book um, for a few different reasons. Not necessarily the sci-fi piece, but more the uh, action piece. Um, a lot of the action, uh, martial arts films I love, Again, my dad is such a big um, blurred influence on me, whether it's sci-fi, we watch Star Trek together, uh, we watch Western, so he's got that geeky thing, but also martial arts films. Okay. So he's such a big influence on me on that. And a lot of times what I tried to do when I was writing was trying to write um, with action and martial arts is a lot of people when they're fighting, it's like there's a problem solution and there's a back and forth dance happening with the fight like you know someone gets you in one hold you find a way out of the hold oh, someone okay. hits you there you have to hit them there and so i try and put that in the writing or even some of the more bombastic action that is chase scenes or cars and extra stuff in it so and i try and do that a lot in the matrix just because of how much it has influence on like sci-fi martial arts like yeah That's not necessarily so old school but sci-fi and um yeah there's there's a lot of things i like about it and uh no, I figured out actually, and to give her credit, figured out the uh, influence of uh, the Matrix. The writer was originally a black woman. I believe the name was uh, Sophia Stewart. Uh oh, so, right, the story. So, Tell it, yeah. Michael. Uh, influencing the, the Wachowski now sisters, um, but apparently this was from uh, the mind of a black woman. So of course, it's good, good to get that influence, you know, <laughs> yep, from the mind of a black woman, as Michael yes. says. And, uh, I love that. There's just a lot of things I like about it. like any anything in 21st century. I think well, well, you know, Matrix definitely pulls from other influences before it. I think yes. Matrix kind of shaped things for the 21st century, like all this influence in a sense of like um, whether it was from the way they did editing or the camera work or how they did martial arts but made it modern type stuff you know there's just a lot of great things going on throughout that entire film and you know lawrence fishburne as morpheus is one of my favorite parts for sure so oh listen uh, <laughs> i have to confess that this is one of those films that i didn't see until well after it came out and i don't know where i was when this came out in 1999 i was married or i was working or I, I don't know what the deal was but for some reason i didn't see it when all the rest of the world saw it and i only saw it just a couple of years ago and when i first saw it i just said oh my god 
Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves. What is better than those two being mentors? John Wick. Yes, yes. Keanu. I mean, and it's just the movie is such a cultural touchstone that you cannot deny it. And I don't know how people say they don't. I wasn't one of those. I didn't say I didn't like The Matrix. I said I hadn't seen The Matrix. But people that have seen it and said they don't like it, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's changed from back in the days because it was so groundbreaking, but I think it got spoofed. And in this case, right, we call it memes, right? We call it meme to hell almost that like it kind of lost some of its influence in a sense. Or not, oh, okay. not necessarily influence, but I would say... Like, gravitas. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, there you go. That That is a good way to put it. When Especially when we compare it to some of the other sci-fi films we're talking about, which it's like, that sci-fi, like, Matrix became, like, mainstream, if you will, for a sci-fi, right? Like, it wasn't just sci-fi people seeing it. Everybody was watching it. Everybody so. saw it, right. And I think that's why I didn't go see it, because I was just, like, trying to be contrary. <laughs> I don't know. Because I think you're right, because it got it was getting spoofed, and it was already the joke. It was on late night. Everybody was talking about this film. And I don't know what happened, but I was just like, you know, I'm so tired of hearing about The Matrix. I'm not even going. But I did finally go. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. So, you know, everybody now talks about, you know, which pill are you going to take? You know? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, you, you know like what they the mean. one, you know, just just different stuff. But like, also, just there's a cool concept, like a destroyed world. But like, you go into like a virtual reality space to like deal and find things, you know, like and try and live with that life. And it's it's such an interesting sci-fi uh, concept of uh, you know living in a sense, uh, almost like Ready Player One kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready Player One or a West World originally mm-hmm. on some of mm-hmm. these ideas, oh. just. Just that, you know, foundation that, like, you know, alternate universe, but instead of being, like, a actual alternate universe, it's, like, within uh, the confines of technology, which right. that's such a big part of my book, uh, how technology works and how people use it. Um, and seeing that in the Matrix and how it's used there is definitely a big influence on my book as well. Not to mention the martial arts. Yes, definitely. Which, you know, I know Kung Fu, you know, it's like I, I probably literally was thinking of that fight scene for at least one of the fights in the book. And I ha- and I have like at least another one in the second book as well. So I was like, okay. I got I to have my uh, martial arts moment. This has got to be made into a film, too. Come on, we got to make this a movie. OK, so we have The Matrix, which gave Michael his martial arts and technology world influence for the Surge series. And my number four movie, I'm talking about my love of science fiction. I'm going back in time again. This time I'm coming up from 1971. I'm coming up to 1983, I think, and it is Enemy Minds, starring Dennis Quaid and Lou Gossett Jr. (laughs) in the classic sci-fi trope of strangers, you know, stranded on a planet here you are stranded on a planet and i love this movie if you've not seen this cue it up because this has got one of the best intros i've ever seen you know it it comes bursting right out and we've got a dog fight with alien fighters and they're just going at it and blah 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 you know you know dennis quaid just like suits up and he's gonna go fight these guys and you know you know you hate these aliens right off the bat there's no are we talking to them are they good aliens or bad aliens we know immediately that these are established aliens and we hate them so (laughs) we're gonna go and kill the the drax which is lou gossett and so they end up 
exploding in the air and crash landing on this planet. And then they have to do this sort of Robinson Crusoe thing where they learn that they have to team up if they're going to survive on this planet. And as I say, uh, comedy ensues after that. <laughs> Because Dennis Quaid is playing this straight cowboy, you know, top gun, crazy, you know, fighter pilot. And Luke Gossett, who is the alien fighter pilot, is doing an amazing job in full prosthetic makeup. Oh, yeah. You barely know that is Luke. Yeah. Completely transformed, for sure. Yeah. If you didn't (laughs) see that that was, you know, the credits, you would be like, who is that? So. I would say before there was Doug Jones in Star Trek or in um, Shape of Water or in The Creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever. No, he like <laughs> wasn't in that, but the Shape of Water was kind of an inspired, inspired by The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Doug Jones and Lou Gossett, I will, I will have to say, are my two favorite guys for playing monsters. And you realize that Lou isn't a monster. He's intelligent. He's not an... Uh, uh, a horrible person like you just have this kind of like one-dimensional idea of, a, of the bad alien and then you find out that this guy is you know he's got all these other feelings and emotions just like just like dennis quaid who's just kind of running and yelling and screaming in this movie anyway <laughs> but um the film is directed by wolfgang peterson who did das boot and it's really I still need to see das boot i really need to see that <laughs> yeah yeah you know i love submarine movies um and funny thing about this film is that it was filmed with, by, with another director and with Quaid and Gossett. And when they saw the film, the studio absolutely hated it. And instead of scrapping the film, they actually made Wolfgang, who was working on the film, the lead director, he decides to reshoot the whole thing. He says, I don't want one piece of film from the original guy. They reshoot the whole movie. And Wolfgang Peterson actually took it back to Germany for the post-production. So that scene in the pool on um, the planet is actually the same pool that they shot some of the scenes from Das Boot. Oh. And um, the movie was a failure financially, I think because you shot it twice. But yeah. this was sort of like, a, who's that baseball player that's getting paid? Every year, forever. Oh, Bonnie Bonilla. This it was a Bonnie Bonilla kind of thing going yeah. on here because <laughs> Gossett and Quaid had a contract and they already paid these guys, and so the studio was like, "We paid you. We gonna make you work. You gonna make this movie." So exactly. So we made them come back and shoot the movie again. So. It's a different one. I think you know one of the things is we were talking about is. Uh... <laughs> Star Wars is such a big influence on 80s sci-fi, which 80s, you know, so much great sci-fi comes out of 80s, but so much stuff is going to be compared to Star Wars in the 80s. So I think people were like, oh, is it going to be like some crazy Star Wars battle thing? No, this is actually a very personal story, a journey that, you know, goes from, you know, I mean, almost, you know, the term now, you know, a lot dramedy in a sense, mm-hmm. I think uh, is what I think of in my mind. And it ends up being way more of a... Uh, character driven type film instead of like the explosions and everything like that like there is weird sci-fi stuff you encounter but it's so much about the dynamic between the two of them and how they come to terms with everything versus like hey we're gonna come in with star wars ships and you know blow up the planet and the planet like and that's what you think is happening when you see exactly the beginning oh my god it's gonna be star wars here they go it's like this whole big battle is going on but you know as we said um that is 
and, and we're, we're talking about how you have been inspired by all these movies. And that is what I love about science fiction, that it does cause you to think and be inspired and then create something else. And you will take pieces and use it from other films and make it your own. So when people say things to me like, oh man, they're just trying to do Star Wars again. I look at them and I say, listen, like half the stuff in Star Wars came from other movies. So exactly. <laughs> let's not think that this was something that was so incredibly original. It was well done. I love it. It is one of my top movies. I, you can't tell me this. I, I can't say a thing bad about Star Wars, but I'm just saying it isn't like from the mind of, you know, <laughs> you know, comes out of his head forehead completely fully formed. And there's, there's, there's a, the whole last sequence, and I keep telling people, and there's a video out on YouTube where you can actually see this, the whole last sequence when Luke is going in and he's going to shoot the uh, the missile, the last one, you know, and he's, they tell him to use the force and all this stuff, and he's going to blow up the Death Star. That is a scene for scene, line for line swipe from a film called The 633 Squadron starring Cliff Robinson. If you don't believe me, go look that up on YouTube and you will see it is dialogue cut, dialogue cut, <laughs> right from the movie. And I love it. George, I ain't mad at you. I am mad at you, George, it worked. So let's use it again. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and his characters and concepts, a lot of it come from it. This is, you know, important because we're going to talk about a Japanese film soon, but uh, Japanese influence from Akira Kurosawa and the samurai films mm. influenced a ton of Star Wars concepts, like the whole lightsaber code lightsaber. and everything mm -hmm. and, you know, honor and, the you know, all of that and the power and even like some of the character types and, it's a it's a guy you know protecting a princess from the hidden fortress is from 1951 i want to say is a Ooh, japanese deep. film that go uh deep. yeah you know it influenced star wars so you know and that's that's just a constant thing you know you see a lot of influences on things that's why you know when i talk about the book influences like if you know sci-fi uh geeky stuff like you can catch a lot of the references in my uh novel because I, I i make it totally apparent i was like look i got a lot of these ideas <laughs> from sci-fi stuff that I enjoyed and influenced my overall thought process for sci-fi. Absolutely. I mean, it's just embedded on us as we were children watching this stuff. And like you said a minute ago, you know, the 80s are really kind of unusual where it was almost like a little mini renaissance of sci-fi because like, the, you know, they, they were definitely influenced by Star Wars and Star Trek that came out in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And Dennis Quaid was huge at this time when he made this movie. He was coming off the right stuff. And Louis Gossett had just won an Oscar for an officer and a gentleman. And they put them both in a sci-fi movie. So that's telling you how crazy big this movie was <laughs> at the time. And this same studio, which was under Barry Diller at the time, was responsible for the making of Big Trouble in Little China, Alien and Jewel of the Nile all came out at the same time that this, you know, one after another, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, they were just making crazy movies. They were just like, let's go for it. So I, I just love Enemy Mind was in there with those other titles. <laughs> hey, no, no, I, I like it. Uh, my mom always loved that one. So, yeah. Which one? Jewel of the Nile? No, Jewel of the Nile, she likes too, Nile. but Enemy Mind. Oh, Enemy Mind? Your mom like loved that. Okay. I like your mom yeah, yeah, and your yeah. dad, okay? <laughs> my mom my mom definitely likes, you know, the more personal ones. My dad gets into the cool stuff. Like, yeah. Like, it's like a kid's, you know. So not that enemy of mine's not cool, but, like, I think he, you know, he likes a little bit more of the action sometimes. 
my mom definitely likes a lot more of the dialogue pieces. Yeah, now this movie does get into some deep stuff. And I mean, mine, we're going to stay with it a little longer because we, you know, star science fiction always has that way of talking about things, uh, making social commentary about things through uh, a science fi a science fiction filter so that people aren't all up in arms as soon as they see the story. Because this one talks about immigration, it's talking about child labor, it's talking about slavery, it talks about a lot of things. I can see why your mother would have liked this movie, because once you get past that dogfight in the beginning, and then the yelling and screaming, and you know, this kind of Star Wars-like aliens popping out of uh, you know sand pits and stuff and eating turtles, <laughs> it, you know, you've got this really great story that's going on underneath of it so yes take a look at enemy mine if you like a little thinking man's alien stranded on a planet movie <laughs> so all right so we're coming to the hump and we are at number three all right number three um shout out to akira which uh is a japanese animated film anime uh is how it's called in 1988 and this 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 uh film definitely influence a lot in terms of i want to say a good chunk of the aesthetic for my overall uh, cyberpunk ghana came from here um just from some of the details from uh the director and the guy who also wrote the manga katsuhiro otomo he he not only wrote the manga for this which is you know the book usually for anime but he also directed the anime and it's a weird one because he put like the first half of the like so there's six manga books Okay. And he put the first one and the sixth one together and made it into a movie. So some of this stuff doesn't kind of connect. And it's a bummer because the middle books have extra characters, which are actually really interesting characters. Mm. But it's just like rule of cool runs throughout the whole film. And Neo Tokyo, the cyberpunk aesthetic is this is one of the main influences, uh, especially for Western animation, for uh, the influence of early anime heads in the 80s getting hooked on anime and definitely influences my motorcycle chases in my book. <laughs> I have some motorcycle chases and a couple of the action beats. I literally go, yeah, I'm doing this exactly how it happened we're gonna in just, the film. We're going to just pay respects to <laughs> this movie in, in the third series. Let's just do it. Listen, I want to thank you for putting this one on the list. Cause when I got your list, I had seen um, just about every one of the movies except this one. And so I had to watch this to do this podcast and I had heard about it and I knew its importance, but I'd never seen the film and it was phenomenal. I loved it. And I get what you're saying about book one and six, which I didn't know until you just said that, um, that they were put together, but I, cause I thought maybe I had missed something, but I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't care. Cause like the six, I mean, the books, all the books honestly have, do a lot of stuff of what I do a lot in the book is where like there's heavy action sequences, but then there's also a lot of contemplation of like, what should we do with this crazy experimental sci-fi power? So again, this, this power that a lot of people don't know what to deal with, the military wants to deal with. So there's a ton of influence on, on this film from this film on my book, but the sixth book, like, the first to six kind of makes it like abrupt. Like the six, you start like there's a switch in the film and you're like, I wonder what happened, or I wonder what happened. And you know, the it's just a shame because I kind of wish it was two films because he develops the biker gang a bit more in okay. the novel, for example. He develops um some of the other 
uh, side characters a bit more that you see in small glimpses, but they actually are full, fully fledged characters in the manga. And the manga is just as good and really interesting too as the anime, but the anime is so cool. And I learned why. So the reason why and the animation he did was like 24 frames per second. But what was different is usually people have multiple frames for animation. He had literally like 24 frames in one second. Like he's like very individual frames so that when it ran together, it just looks so much smoother. Like that motorcycle chase oh, is so smooth yeah. because everything is drawn out. Wow. You know, uh, we were just doing a recap of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and there hey. is a scene <laughs> where they go to Madripoor, and oh, they're in I, the car yo, at night. And I literally thought it was up. my book. I was like, hey, it's my hey. book. Hey, hey it's a Mike, Mike, they're doing a camera. <laughs> they're doing a they're doing it. It was completely right out of it. it I just oh, said, oh, yeah, sure. somebody I, saw I, that. Yeah, I, I saw that and I was literally like, yo, this is Akira slash, like, this This is the cyberpunk I have. Like, yes. This is the Accra I've developed. Like, it is the Madripoor is Tokyo right now. <laughs> yeah, pretty so, and, and the thing about that whole world building that was done in this movie was that, like I said, I didn't know, I, I knew the story basically. I didn't know anything about it. Hadn't read any of the books, nothing. And you come into that first scene where they show Tokyo and everything's cool. And then I'm not giving anything away. You know, the bomb drops and everything is like destroyed and it's dystopian. And you were just like, oh, my God. And then the movie starts. But before that, they have that Asian goggles off. And you, you just know what world you're in. <laughs> as soon as you hear the feel this movie starting, man, it's just like, oh, baby, let's buckle up. <laughs> and you know the guy walks down the stairs into that CD bar, and you're like, "Oh, I'm just loving this." Yeah, no, there's a there's a lot of still frames. I love to look in that movie that definitely inspired concepts, looks, and like tons of moments. Like I, I'm even thinking about when I look at a old girl's outfit. There's there's definitely mm-hmm. some influence there. Yeah. But um, I think I think it's just such a solid one and has way more influence than people think i mean it influenced the matrix for example like it, it definitely yep. did um and i i had so much fun i always have a good time watching i i have a lot yeah. of fun i have a lot of fun recommending it um i'm curious if the tokyo olympics will do anything regards to i don't i don't know how i feel about watching <laughs> them right now with like some of the controversies going on but right. i hope because you know the film takes place in neo tokyo 2020 but i hope there, there's some reference to Akira it's in the be. opening I mean, celebration or closing or something. They had to do something because, you know, when I saw this movie for the first time, I saw Minority Report, I saw The Expanse, I saw Fast and Furious, I saw all kinds of influences. And I love like, The Expanse. Oh, I love yeah. that you've been talking about it in the group. That's that's a, that's a heavy influence on the book, but also just... Uh, in general, there's a video game I play that's really similar to The Expanse, too. Okay, so. yeah, The Expanse and Akira. But my brother is also a writer, and his book is called Rogue Progeny. And he is a writer, and he's an artist, so he's done all the graphics himself. And so when I was do, getting ready for the show, I talked to him about this movie, and he was like, oh, my God, yeah, everybody knows this. And so he said that this art in this film, or these books, changed comic books art forever and he said it is like a major influence i was like have you ever heard of this movie he's like oh girl please yes 
(laughs) (laughs) If you have not seen this film, Akira, and you think you love anime and manga, right? Mm -hmm. And you haven't seen this, you've got a big hole in your education. So Yeah, you got to get into it. Got to get into it. Got to get into it even on sci-fi level. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, big mark. It's uh, I think it's because it's when Japan is really influencing a lot of Western culture with that one. Absolutely. Again, as in Westerns, as in now sci-fi. So, (laughs) uh, you know, people don't know, but they did. Uh, 1988, Akira. And... Now, my number three, again, we're going back to movies that have some sort of personal thing for me. This is a very personal film. It is The Brother from Another Planet from 1984, starring Joe Morton as an alien, a black alien. Okay, not just an alien. He's a black alien stranded on Earth, not just Earth. He's stranded in Harlem. Now, what more do you need? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a lot right there he's already. Chased, he's being chased by white aliens <laughs> that are trying to get him and bring him back for whatever reason. We don't know. I You're going to find out in the movie. But uh, the, the film is really kind of crazy because you, it starts with him in a spaceship of some sort. And he is flying the spaceship. And he's trying to get away. And he crash lands on Earth. And the thing about it is that when he gets out of the spaceship, he doesn't have the classic spaceman outfit on, like, you know, some sort of a silver jumpsuit. He's got these rags on and he's a mute. He cannot speak or they don't use language like we do. And so they just think he's some kind of bum walking around in Harlem. And the movie is another one that's making social commentary um, in a broad sort of way. And it does talk about immigration. It talks about, um, you know, being the other. And uh, it just talks about slavery and the, the, the penal system, you know, the, and, you know, probation and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. The man is being chased. But what is really funny about this movie, which was a, a Sundance darling, um, is that they drop all these lines from all these other movies. So there are all these Easter eggs all over. There's a line from The Terminator, from Blazing Saddles, from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. So if you are a real movie fan, take a look at Joe Morton giving, I think, an Oscar-winning performance where he doesn't say a word. So while Lou was in full prosthetic, Joe is playing absolutely silent as the brother from another planet. I can't even say it without laughing because I saw this film. No, it's so personal for me is that I saw this film when I was just dating my my uh, soon to be later to be husband, and I came into a party and they were all playing poker. And so the, the other one of the other women was sitting in the living room, and she was like, "Oh my god, I'm so glad you're here because I'm sick of playing poker." So she left the table. We went into the living room to go watch TV. Mm. The guys left them with the beer and the poker, and we were just like the new girlfriends. So the guys are like. I hope the two girls get along because if they don't get along, then this is not going to be good. <laughs> so we're in there and we turn on the TV and the brother from another planet is on. And I was watching this with my girl, Shiva. Hey, Shiva, if you're listening, how you doing, girl? <laughs> and by the time this movie was over, we are crying, laughing on the couch, rolling around. We're now the best of friends. The guys leave the poker game to come and see what is going on. <laughs> We're trying to explain this movie to them, and there's just no going back. But she married her boyfriend, and I married my boyfriend, and we became best friends. So this is a very, very, very personal, <laughs> personal movie, and I love it. <laughs> I really, I really, I think the one thing, the biggest thing you said is, like you said, the social commentary is that, 
you know, you've got alien on the planet, but also it's like a black alien, right? Like, so, you know, there's, there's a double, there's a dichotomy going on there that's just really interesting in a sense, especially when you go in a larger sense of, like, black people in spaces that are not usually for them. And then if I go further, right, like sci-fi, for so long it was very hard for us to be in that realm. And I think that's also why I made my book how it is. Like, there, there's no white people in my book. I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to explore that. Um, I occasionally have other ethnic groups from the diaspora, like maybe they are trading with them, or maybe they just happen to have been uh, gone back home in a sense. But I think it's it's a point of like saying like, hey, like we we can be in these spaces and how to explore and navigate, and it's not always easy as Joe Morton's character figures out in his time in Harlem. So. Oh my God, it's just amazing. And it, it, the dialogue in that film that is not, of course, Joe's is just absolutely hysterical. So definitely take a listen to, take a look at that one. But one of the things um, that you were just saying about, um, you know, the the fact of um, Black people not being in these spaces and things is that it, it's something now that we're coming in there with like gangbusters coming into this space and just really like, kicking it to the max and i just love that so much new blood is being put into sci-fi by black creatives and because we're not concerned about what your idol tony morrison called the white gaze it's yes so we're just not we're just doing what we're doing we're just doing a do doing <laughs> what we're gonna do so yeah i can see how you would have that uh that aspect in the coming right from tony morrison <laughs> so so okay so we have our number three films and they were akira and mine the brother from another planet we are so far apart in our movies it is delightful <laughs> I, it, we are just like you know i knew we wouldn't have any of the same movies but this is really crazy. <laughs> All right, so what is your number two film? Uh, number two, so I, I kind of uh, copped out on this one and put them both together, but because I feel they run together, because surprisingly, uh, the sequel to the film worked really well for the film. Uh, Blade Runner, uh, the original 1982, and Blade Runner 2049, which I think is 2017. Um, so this one, for as much as I could say Akira had influence, Blade Runner, like, literally is the film almost in a sense the number one gives credence to a different part of the film but literally like having a detective a film noir in a cyberpunk setting like that is how i start off the book like literally yes like having to track down someone i even have like a daryl hannah type scene with work girl there's there is so much influence aesthetically especially the setting which i think is one of the largest characters of both of these because you know, 2049 just basically takes it, it up a notch with more sci-fi and influences that I use in my book, especially like the weather regulating systems or mm-hmm. the agricultural systems. That's some of the stuff I put in my book. And um, it just goes so well with like the det- film noir detective in cyberpunk setting. It's just, it's just too good for me. And there's a lot of moments in both films that set the template really for what I do in my book. Yeah, I I think that's a great way to describe Blade Runner. If you have seen that and not put two and two together, that he's really Sam Spade. You know, he's your classic detective. Oh yeah, and it's just it's just so cool to watch it and know that it's something that here we have, 
you know, you're moving that dial forward. It's a classic Hollywood thing of the dark, the rain, you know, Rutger Hauer. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely and, a great person. Yeah, yeah and, and the story, like, you know, you're trying to figure out this case and Edward, uh, um, Edward James Almost is in it. And it, it also got nominated for an Oscar for Art Direction, directed by Ridley Scott. The 1982, we're coming in with those 80s, coming in strong. Yeah, on the list. It, it, yeah, you know that's a it's it's a huge huge influence uh, all over. And I think, like you said, it's the Renaissance. It's a uh, I think I think it's like freedom because because if I point to like Star Trek and Star Wars, and then people kind of with both of those films being like, what is this? But now, or you know, the show Star Trek and the film Star Wars being like, what what is this? But now seeing how well it sold people are yeah. like okay like there's yes. studios here's the free reigns make us some sci-fi which yeah. is one thing i like as well it doesn't mean everything is perfect it, it allows for experimentation which this film is this is like the cyberpunk template like um oh. you you didn't see a lot of this before at all Never. like yeah this was you know, like so, what are we looking at exactly like it's like no this is los angeles by the way guys and you're like what like, like what what time is now you know and i and i think that's so so wonderful in a sense is that like that uh setting is like you know i don't think if being allowed so much freedom with like making sci-fi this would have been made in a sense so because it's a very different film it's this it's not trying to be a blockbuster you know what i mean like it's Mm -hmm. not trying to be you know a spielberg of the day, like, I mean, what, Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981 had come out the year before, so it's not trying to be a, like, yes, let's have all the special effects. It's like, let's let's just, like, think about the craziness of sci-fi concepts now, and are people real or not real? And Yeah, the it's, replicants. It's, it's, yeah, so it's good stuff. And, you know, it's funny, the Rutger Hauer thing I was thinking about, the second book, I definitely have a Rutger Hauer moment Uh-oh. with, one of, with uh, one of the characters who is a villain, but not quite in a sense, you know, just like Rutger Hauer, he's just trying to, like, do his thing. I wouldn't call him a villain, you know? Okay. Yeah, and just like, you know, you almost, your your protagonist is sort of, like, um, you know, not a straight-up, like, okay, by the book procedural yeah. detective, either. She's this woman that had been on the wrong side, and now, you know, she's coming from the gang. So, she's like a classic film noir, you know, they're always exactly. conflicted, you know, they've got these issues, and they're not quite sure, and they do things so well because they know that side, and how do you know that side? Because I've been on that side. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so. so, you know, just like Deckard, Harrison Ford's character does his own thing eventually, but I have a fear doing her own thing half the time, too. Like, yeah. the military is like, hey, no, we need this. And she's like, no, nah, I'm going to do it this way. Yeah, but what I like about your character, too, is that this is like her first time out. You know, she's like on her own, her first solo. And so, I mean, I love, I love it. You guys, it's Surge series. So <laughs> make sure you get this book. And we'll give you in the in the comments below, we'll let you know how you can get Michael's book. But um, all right, so we've got Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 as your second one and major influences on your writing. And so my number two is another film that maybe doesn't come to everyone's mind right away when you think of like, you know, classic sci-fi movies, but I loved this film. And I was really kind of shook when I came out of the movie theater. And the film is called Contact. 
from 1997, starring so Foster and Matthew McConaughey. Yes. And so where I was talking to you earlier about science butting up against the government, in this one we have science butting up against religion. And I am a, you know, Jesuit trained person and a Roman Catholic, as my mother would say. So this film really resonated with me because wow. uh, it was it was really a big deal. Now, the film is based on a book by Carl Sagan, who is like, you oh, know, love Carl Sagan's work. Yeah. So this is his <laughs> book and he wrote with his wife. They wrote the book together and then he did the outline for the screenplay. And what I really love about this movie is that it showed women in science. It showed women manning this um, observation rooms, uh, the SETI and the, you know, the very large array in New Mexico. And then we see the um, the big array, the big telescope in Puerto Rico, which, oh my God, just was uh, shut down permanently forever. Can we have a moment's silence for oh, the death of the Arcebo, you know, telescope, um, which was uh, destroyed by the cable fell or something back in 2020, and it is no longer going to be able, it can't be. Repaired. Yeah, that was a bad earthquake there. I, that was really, like, that hurt me that really hurt me but um so this movie showed those showed the women doing this kind of day-to-day -day listening for these sounds from extraterrestrial just every day all the time listening 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 and it, it's kind of funny because i was thinking about it is that they almost had the faith of the faithful that they were going <laughs> to hear something you know, so, you know, they're just listening for the sound. And I, the movie is incredible. There's a line in the movie where Jodie Foster says, mathematics is the only universal language. And I just went, I so love this movie. Oh, my God, the blurred in me. <laughs> God, yeah, it's funny because some, someone who is not a big fan of math, except when it comes to finance, but that makes perfect sense, right? Like, because it actually works in how it works. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so I loved, I loved the aspect of the women, uh, you know, doing like the, 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 the unglamorous jobs and, you know, then having their work being uh, just taken away from them and having the guys step in. It just talked a lot of, about a lot of stuff besides science fiction. So there was more social commentary going on with a sci-fi filter <laughs> that is uh, contact. And then it had that twist at the end, which, man, <laughs> like a sci-fi with a good twist at the yes, end. Yes, like, definitely. What? You love it. And, you know, I, I like so much of the religious commentary in this, too, is someone who I used to teach um, before I started teaching government economics, but I used to teach, like, uh, global history, and they talked about uh, the European, um, what should we call it, not, not before the Enlightenment, the, re the Renaissance, in a sense, when people are discovering science and Copernicus mm -hmm. and everything. He's like, and Galileo, it's like, oh, it's heliocentric instead of geocentric, and the church was like, Yo, we want to kill you because it's just like with contact, the concepts of like moving through like someone else existing in a sense seems like you would defy all of our religious structures that we have. Like right. I would tell, I told the students, like, imagine like the earth and never having an idea there's space beyond it. And then it's like denied. It's like, oh yeah, you know, we're not the center. There's, there's more than there's other planets. Like, you know, God might not exist on those planets type stuff. And people are like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. Or or that would be the same as saying, you know, we're not really on a planet. We're really an amoeba and we're on on an, a big alien. And we're just like little parasites. And everybody's like, <laughs> no way! 
Hey, you know, this is this is just like mind blowing and saying something like that to people. Like I can't comprehend that. I don't even understand what you're telling me. And having everybody just go lose their minds, just lose their mind. But you know, but there is also that side of science that says the more they learn and the more they research science, the more sure they are that there is a God. And I think that's a crazy kind of aspect too. So you have people that are like, no, there can't possibly be. And then yes, there is, there has to be. And that's what I liked about this movie. They were arguing both sides of the mm-hmm. coin and no one was right. No one was right. Or, you know, they couldn't prove they were right. So, and maybe both of them are right. So it really was like a big, big, huge question mark, which I loved. I love that they, no, they couldn't answer the question. And that's Mark, that's Carl Sagan. That is called, that is all Carl Sagan there. So yes, so that's my number two film, Contact with Jodie Foster, who gave an amazing performance. And Matthew McConaughey looking just as fine as he always does. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh man, referencing that film. <laughs> I, I have to. Just, confused. <laughs> that is just too funny. Um, but he's such a, he's, you know, I'm glad that he, you know, finally got to get that Oscar and live that down. So... <laughs> So now we've gone through our first four movies, and we have Michael with Arrival, The Matrix, Akira, and Blade Runner 1 and Blade Runner 2, 2049, and Sabrina with The Andromeda Strain, Enemy Mine, The Brother from Another Planet, and Contact. So before we go to our number one movies, how about giving me your honorable mention? Because I couldn't keep this list to five. I don't know about (laughs) you. No, I definitely couldn't. And so what I want to do is, you know, I want to cheat a bit here and do two, but because they're uh, they're very much a different vein of sci-fi and they're not book influences, but okay. they're just they're just so good. I have I have to re- you know like state them as uh, Alien, you know, nineteen seventy nine, uh, yeah. and uh, the thing. You know, I, I don't remember what yes. year the thing, the eighties thing, eighties, you know, eighties thing. <laughs> but uh, I think what I like so much about both of these is. Uh, versus Arrival, how do we communicate with the alien? Or Enemy Mind, the alien is already established. This is, the alien is like just a monster. Like it, it just, <laughs> there, there is no communication. There no. is no, we don't, we don't know what it is, but it's killing us. And so the first alien is like, we barely even get, you know, they, he takes the Jaws approach, Ridley Scott, same director from Blade Runner. Um, he takes the Jaws approach where it's like, yeah, you're never really going to see the alien until the end. So it's like, I don't know what it is. I can't, you know, and you let your imagination run wild. And what is killing off these people? Like, you know, we literally just start on the spaceship, find the alien and it att- like, that's the movie. It's sci-fi that's- horror. And it's uh, brilliant. It's, it's just because what I like is because it's just no, it's no frills. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's that film. It's like, we discover this weird thing. Uh, we don't know what it is. It starts killing the crew. It's it's like, and you don't and know what it is. We can't get out of here. We can't exactly. get off of this thing. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's like, is it intelligent? Is it want? Like, you don't know. It's just dangerous. And I like that concept of just like, you know, like it's it's sentient, but it's at the same time, it's like just evil. Like, well, not even. I don't even know if it's evil. It's just literally like you know, it's just, just gonna kill you. Yeah. It's dangerous. <laughs> exactly. It's dangerous. It's deadly. It is just going to come. There's no talking to it. I'm not trying to figure out how it communicates. This thing is trying to kill me, and I got to kill it. And, and Yafet Kodo is going to be the man to do it. Well, <laughs> Yafet Kodo. <laughs> that, that, that's a guy. Not you. Not Loved used enough. Man. I love Yafet Kodo. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Yes. There's a lot of great uh, actors in that one. And uh, 
the other one, the thing, what I like so much is that, well, it takes a similar concept of alien of like, there's this thing trying to kill us, but what it does differently is it goes is, well, the thing trying to kill us is us because it can transform into humans in a yes. sense. And so there's that paranoia and it works well in a, like, isol- another, I, what I like is it's isolation on earth. It's yeah. a is- isolated Antarctica station, which Antarctica is pretty isolated in general. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then you don't know who the alien is. Is this a human? Is this an alien? And, you know, the animatronics and special effects are just so good with the dog and uh, everything, yes. you know. But also, I just like it because it, it's just trying to kill you. But what, what's trying to kill you is yourself. It's like, it's another great sense of, like, sci-fi horror in which your paranoia doesn't come from, what is this evil thing? It's, my paranoia comes from, can I trust you or yes. not? Or can I trust them? Or, you know, and so it's great in uh, that uh, conflict that arises between them. Oh, I mean, and it's it, it, like you said, the isolation of it and then the paranoia, it's just a classic. I mean, which is why they made this film three times. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Because, you know, it just gets better and better. Let's do it again. Okay, yeah, let's do it again. And so that's really funny that you picked uh, Alien and The Thing, and you picked the 1982 thing specifically, but there was one before mm-hmm. and after, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then my honorable mention, so you can't say sci-fi without saying H.G. Wells, and I picked War of the World, the 1953 version, which, (laughs) funny enough, also has three versions. Um, And I love this movie because, again, like you said, it is just, we're not trying to target these aliens. They're trying to kill us, and we're going to kill them. It's just that simple. There's nothing you got to figure out. Well, what was crazy about this movie is that they really showed the hysteria of what could happen. Now, we just had the Department of Defense release the first reports about, you know, unidentified aerial phenomenon or UFOs, as we call them. Yeah. And and they're saying, like, it's not conclusive, but we're not going to say it's not extraterrestrial. I'm like, oh, my sweet Lord. But here we have... The people saying, yeah, it's got a one-eyed ship coming and it's like throwing laser beams and everybody is running and they got bazookas and there were tanks and army and flames. I mean, oh my God, this movie is crazy. And I love it. It is so frightening. And the thing about it, I saw this in a big theater eventually. I saw it in Wang Theater in Boston on the big screen. You know, the the, the screen goes back, you know, the curtains go back and it's like, oh my God, there's the movie. And, um, and, I, and the movie that my number one, I also saw it on the big screen. Oh, that's so, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston, the, uh, Boston has a uh, had used to do a lot of. They're, they're, that's a movie town. Nice. Now, War of the Worlds. You know what I like so much is that radio uh, actually created true hysteria. And I was reading about it some more, and I was like, what the police did is they sent broadcasts back after to tell people like, oh, don't worry, this is just because people were freaking out because like. You know, they they turned in it and, you know, I've got to think, like, I think it was what, Orson Welles on it in the 1930s, which I can imagine, right? You have no frame of reference, really, for, like, what else is going on. You're like, what what is this? Like, yo, are you safe in this place? Like, I need to get a hold of, and I can see, like, just, like, panic happening. Like People just went crazy. This is when you have to say, it would have been good to have, like, commercial breaks in this. Exactly. This telecast, but I guess they were just, you know, doing the radio play. And no one, they missed the intro or something. I don't know. 
But everybody started going crazy and thinking that this was a real Martian invasion. I think that is absolutely phenomenal. There's actually a movie about that happening. I can't remember what the name of it is, but they did a, they made a, you know, a movie about this Orson Welles, like making everyone crazy, thinking that this really was going on. So yeah, so that's my number two honorable mention, um, War of the Worlds. Not to be confused with the one that's with has Tom Cruise. This is the one with Gene Barry. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. The money movies. We're up to our number one. What movie was your number one influence for your trilogies called Search Series? Black Panther. You know, I, I think Yay! about always, uh, you know, Wakanda Forever and all that. And, you know, uh, you know, got a black space shirt, you know. Still oh, like, it, like that t-shirt. Uh, Star Trek and Star Wars people. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, a lot of times I wonder, you know, can you say this one? Because people people have some very mixed feelings, I learned. And even, even some black people actually have mixed mm. feelings on it. Because the MCU, and I'm literally like, please, please, tell me another film that is like this. Please, please give me another African sci-fi influence black film. And for me, there isn't. And I made my book. While I think a lot of the template is a cyberpunk Blade Runner, um we have such a heavy influence of um what you call it uh african culture afrofuturism right yes. the book is technically afrofuturistic in itself and so black panther is that like i think while you know we talked about madripoor and like you know akira and blade runner like the setting of it it would be that but then you'd have african symbology and terminology design and clothing and characters which oh. black panther does like there's a scene i like in black panther which is is not as related to some of the others it's when uh you know chadwick boseman r.i.p um and uh lupita are walking through just the casual market yes and there's like the market like it's some regular market which i definitely reference from kamasi's market uh the katajija market and I kind of am thinking like that is the inspiration because you have like, you know, like a cyberpunk type area market. It was African influence and everyone has, you know, African clothing and dashikis and everything. But then there's like floating futuristic stuff, people selling different stuff, yes. you know, like stuff flying around. And I was like, that, that is what I'm truly going for. And I, lo I love that film. I saw that film three times in the theater. I dressed up for it. I couldn't get it. I, it's also, I think since then I've seen the film total five times, grand total so far. And like, it, it's a film where if anyone said, hey, let's watch it, I would watch it. Like, don't, I wouldn't care if I saw it the day before. Like, I, I, I love Black Panther. Exactly, exactly. Highly enjoyable. Plus, I, for me, this is, this is how I view, you know, some people are like, oh, Black people in fantasy. For me, I was like, no, this is how I would have viewed Black people and African people. Like, very much with their culture, right? Ruth Carter, wonderful costume job. Yes. And, uh, but very futuristic. Like yes. Very African, but very futuristic. Afrofuturism, which is what I go for in the book 100%. Absolutely. So you will give it to your classmate <laughs> at, <laughs> at USC Film School, Ryan yes. Kugler. This is his fifth film. And of course, he, um, he was making a boatload of money for the studio and they finally gave him the reins. And he just took it to the 
hope. And what I love about this film is, is like you said, it is Afrofuturism. It is telling like it's telling a, a pretty ordinary story. And what I get, what I can't understand is, you know, people saying, I don't understand the hype. And what I want people to do after you finish listening to this podcast, if you love Black Panther, go on Internet Movie Database, go on Rotten Tomatoes and add your own review and give it the stars that you think it deserves. Because people definitely have gone into this uh into those same um sites and giving this movie a one and i don't see how you could give this movie a one just for what is on the screen so you know what's going on there folks and so you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> so go in there and yeah, counteract feel that on IMDb. it's like that. some mess over here so anyhow yes it was nominated for best uh picture it was nominated and uh won best original score it won best costume design and it won best production design and i'm telling you this this movie was something that i too saw this three times in the opening weekend i had a vip ticket for february 17th whenever it came out we were all there like places was packed everybody was like you said dressed in things and we were ready i mean there was so much mud cloth going on in that (laughs) you know you were just so everybody was so happy and it was so great and it was one of those films that you had to see in a theater with people it was great you know i think of like get out you know like seeing certain films in theaters especially ones like that is a celebration like just how excited people were watching black panther i think was such a wonderful yeah. thing to see and also looking at what people brought to see it like you know <laughs> I, it was it was fun i was like and you and you knew where people were going like you know it's yeah. like you saw the outfits and you're like aha aha so, go to the movie, huh? You gonna go see Black Panther? They were like, yeah, yeah man, I got my stuff on. <laughs> and they were ready. They were so ready. And it was really fun. I, 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 you know, like you said, rest in peace, Chadwick. I mean, he did give us T'Challa before he died. I mean, I, I was just so upset when that all happened. I don't know what they're going to do with the next movie. They're saying they're going to make it okay. I'm hoping. Uh, I know. I trust Ryan. I, I'm trusting with it. I, so the best idea I heard was that the second one deals with the fallout and follows some different characters that we get developed. And there's a different like villain and type stuff. And the third one, you move to make sure more the black Panther. Like, so the second one deals with like, yeah, you know, let's, let's develop other people. And like, let's, let's deal with like a different type of issue. Mm-hmm. And the third one, Shuri takes the mantle, just like the actual comics did. So, yeah. Um, right. Right. That, so, that's what I think could be the best option they have where they acknowledge it, but also move forward. Okay, so. Letitia, get ready, girl. Get ready to take, <laughs> put on the necklace. <laughs> All right, so that is uh, your number one. And so I will finish this off with my, and I do see, I see a lot of how these movies have influenced you. And here we go with my final and my biggest influence movie. And it is from 1956. Forbidden Planet. <laughs> the had a, you know, I had to put it in there. This movie was um, directed by Robert Wise back in 1956. It stars uh, Leslie Nielsen, who, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, people might just remember him from those crazy funny movies that he did later, but he was a, he was a leading man and a hot bob back in the day. And he plays the stalwart captain in this one. Um, and Forbidden Planet is a movie that is considered one of the first adult sci-fis. 
it was not made to be a serial Saturday serial or, you know, for the kids or anything like that. It had a very serious topic. It is based on the Shakespearean play, The Tempest, because we have a man and his daughter and they're pretty much, again, marooned on a planet and there's a monster on the planet. Uh, it has, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it talks about the id, it talks about Freud, we mentioned the Garden of Eden, and we also have the infamous Krell, the Krell. And this, starring Walter Pigeon like, with Leslie Nielsen and um, Honey West, <laughs> who, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on her name, um, who plays the girl, the beautiful girl that's like the Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, um, this movie has also been put in the National Film Registry. It is that important. And one of the things that makes major it so- Major influence. Pardon me? I was just gonna say major influence on like major, everything. Yeah, major influence on everything. So you know, Gene Roddenberry actually, I think, was greatly influenced by this film because there is sort of like a Starfleet. There are actually transporters. There, They have these sort of uniforms that look very much like a Star Trek kind of Federation sort of thing going on. Even Robbie the Robot is... Robbie uh, the Robot. Yes, he's in it too. <laughs> and influence is lost in space. So, you know, without Forbidden Planet, there's a lot of movies that aren't that are the first happen. big... Big robots, yeah. Yes, yes, Robbie the Robot. And it also is a forerunner of synthetic music. So the score in this movie is really interesting to hear because there is not one orchestral instrument being played in any of the music that you hear. It is all done by electric uh, synthesized music. And the instrument that they use actually only worked for this one film. And then after that, the MOOC synthesizer was developed based on the idea of this thing that they were using for the film. And so if you listen to the music and it's so creepy and it's so weird, so out of this world that it completely fits. So Forbidden Planet, Altair 4, and The Journey. Oh my God, I love this. I love this film. MGM, 1956, Forbidden Planet. It's, uh, so, you, you know, I got to say one last thing is that it's so influential that there's a huge geek store in New York City called Forbidden Planet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just like I, it, the look of the film is really crazy. I remember when I was a kid and I saw this movie like, you know, Preacher Feature or whatever, and the sky, everything, it, it just looked really like a different world, like a forbidden planet. It didn't look like anything you ever saw. And um, there's one shot in the movie, too, which I always think of. Alfred Hitchcock, when I see this, there's one scene where Robbie the Robot is in the cart and he's driving across the Vista and the smoke kicks up behind him. And you just see this, this little cart he's in, just bombing across the, this desert in this, this planet. And then later on in The Birds, Alfred Hitchcock has kind of like the same kind of scene where the woman sees all the, the, the destruction in this house of all the birds. She jumps in the truck and she races and the dirt just goes up. And I just went like, I don't know if Alfred Hitchcock saw, you know, Forbidden Planet. I think he did, but <laughs> maybe not at all. But it just, I mean, I always think of that movie when I see that scene. But uh, uh, the star of the other, the female star of the movie is Anne Francis otherwise known as Honey West, for those of us that grew up in the 60s. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my number one movie, The Forbidden, not The Forbidden, it's just Forbidden Planet, 
the inspiration for I'm going to say it Star Trek. And I know he said Wagon Train to the Stars, but he definitely saw this movie when he was thinking of Starfleet Command. And that we will have it. So, Mike, I want to thank you for telling us all your secrets and what influenced you. And I know we're going to have to have another talk about science fiction because, you know, I'm hearing about your mom and your dad. And um, both of us seem to have these parents that loved movies. I know I'm named after um, uh, an Audrey Hepburn movie, but I used <laughs> to say I was named after a Humphrey Bogart movie. And my dad got me you into know, westerns, yeah, <laughs> and the martial arts. So we have a lot in common with um, movie-loving parents. <laughs> Definitely, and you know, I've influenced them on some stuff at this point. So you know. <laughs> oh, okay. What's the yeah. What's the last movie you saw with any either one of them? You remember? Um, I'm putting you on the spot. I know. I don't. I don't know movie-wise because shows are so big now. And I what yeah, I because what, what I want to say is that I've gotten them to watch The Expanse. I think oh. that's the key thing. So my dad has really gotten into the expanse. I knew he would like it based on our love for Babylon five. Okay. And so I was like, you need to watch the expanse. It's so up our alley, like very much a lot of things we like and he's loving it. So, Oh my yeah. God. You, I know I'm going to have to see something. I'm going to have to do a watch party or something because <laughs> anybody that loves the expanse is my friend. <laughs> I can't wait for this last season to go on. I mean, my girl, Naomi, so amazing is my hero we're gonna do another podcast on the sci-fi sisters oh she definitely influences uh i think she would influence the latino the latina lady in my uh absolutely so she 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 the mechanic and everything that's Uh naomi nagata for sure all over the place (laughs) all right so with a call out to the expanse and let's get ready for season six which is gonna show i think in november we're gonna see yeah installment Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Now, I have not read those books. So here's another another um, series that comes from books. And so, you know, hopefully Surge series is going to be the inspiration for TV, uh, <laughs> movies. I can see it. I can All see right. it. All right. I'm just saying. Listen, you heard it here first, folks. Way back <laughs> in the day when you were all saying Surge series was such a great TV series. And you say, like, whoa, the Cinema Cinephile had this one years ago. Oh, my there God. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on Cinema Cinephile's 5 by 5 a movie podcast, my expert guest in science fiction. And, yes, my man knows his science fiction. He was making some big callback. <laughs> Michael Haynes Pitts. Yay! Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sabrina. All right, everyone. And I will put in the in the chat, in the quotes, um, in sorry, in the comments, I will let you know where you can get his book. I say it all together now. The Surge series. <laughs> yes, the Surge series. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. Have a good Thank evening, you. everybody. 